Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Clever Girls Know podcast. This is Bola Shokumbi. I'm the founder and CEO of Clever Girl Finance. The Clever Girls Know podcast is a podcast for women, offering a space for conversations around personal finance, business, life, and living. I'd love for you to subscribe to this podcast, and you can do that everywhere you listen to your podcast episodes. And if you love what you listen to, head on over to iTunes and leave a review so that other amazing women just like you can find this podcast as well. I'd also love for you to stop by clevergirlfinance.com. We have new content on the blog multiple times a week. We have over 30 plus free courses. Plus, when you sign up for a course, you can talk to a Clever Girl Finance mentor for free to get encouragement, motivation, or if you just want to have an open, no shame, no judgment girl talk. Finally, check out our YouTube channel. Just search Clever Girl Finance on YouTube. And if you don't already follow us on Instagram, you can find us at Clever Girl Finance. Okay, so let's get into today's episode. Today, I am super excited to have a guest with me, a special guest, Emily Aries. And Emily is a speaker, podcast host, author, and the founder and CEO of the incredible platform Bossed Up. And so we're going to be talking about how to advocate for yourself in your career, with your finances as a woman. And I'm so excited to have you here to talk with us, Emily. Go ahead and introduce yourself and tell us who you are and what you do. Sure, Bola. Thanks so much for having me. I'm so delighted to be here. Uh, I really spend my days helping women own their power, own their voice, and take charge of creating radical progress in their lives. It's the same stuff that I learned as an organizer, as a political activist, as a state director back in the realm of campaigns and elections. But now I'm focused on, just like I had to focus on this in my own life, how women can really advocate for themselves in a world that historically hasn't really liked women who dare to do that. So it's big work, but I'm delighted to be here. And I love what you do. You know, it's so important for us as women to own our voices, to advocate for ourselves. Mm -hmm. And so before we kind of get into the gist of the conversation, I'd love for you to share a personal story about how you found your own voice and got to this point where you're able to advocate for yourself and also teach other people how to do the same for themselves as well. Totally. Thanks for the question. I think, you know, a lot of us entrepreneurs, authors, writers, we we write what we needed a few years earlier. And that was certainly the case for me when I wrote my book, Bossed Up, A Grown Woman's Guide to Getting Your Shit Together, <laughs> because that's what I needed about a decade ago when I found myself in a really tough spot in my life. I felt like a hot mess, if I'm being honest with you. I had on paper what looked like a very successful early start to my career. I was the youngest state director in the nation serving on behalf of the newly elected Obama administration. I was young, but I was rising quickly in my field. And I was in a relationship with someone at the time who I very much loved and lived with, who was a leader in his own right, an elected official, the head of another statewide organization. And it looked on paper like things were going super well. The reality behind the scenes was quite different. I had gone from being a college athlete to not stepping foot in a gym for about three years there. I had no semblance of physical well-being or exercise or even any kind of nutrition in my life at the time. And so beyond neglecting my physical well-being, 
my social well-being wasn't all that hot either. <laughs> I had recently graduated from college and all of my good friends, you know, dispersed amongst the country across the region uh, to pursue our professional endeavors. And I totally dropped the ball on them, lost touch, wasn't there for my friends and didn't think that that was a big deal. I thought, whatever, we have big ambitions we need to chase. Like having a robust social life was a, a nice to have perk that I didn't have time for, quite frankly. <laughs> and uh, that really became an issue when I realized about a year into this wonderful relationship with this brilliant man who happens in his many forms of who this person was, who happens to be an alcoholic. And in all of my years of education, I had yet to ever encounter addiction and had no idea what to do and was totally in over my head and had already been kind of isolated from my friends. So I felt very alone in what turned out to be quite an abusive relationship. And so I thought to myself, you know, this can't be happening to me. <laughs> this, is, this can't be really, this high functioning person can't be an addict. And he very much is. Uh, and I was in over my head. And until I got into the hands of a very capable mental health professional, I was really struggling. I felt this need to wake up every day and save the world by day through my job, which I was happily martyring myself for. And then go home and save my boyfriend's life by night. And it put me on the fast track to complete and total burnout until I finally reached out for help via my primary care physician of all places who got me connected to a therapist. And I was like, what do you mean a therapist for me? It's my boyfriend who has the problem. And she was like, let's just try this for a minute. And only through really creating this radical act of time and space devoted to finding myself and figuring out what I actually wanted in my life instead of just blindly sprinting my way to what I thought success looked like, uh, was I able to take a moment, step back, evaluate what I want, and really set some boundaries that were hard to set, especially in an abusive relationship. So that looked like leaving that relationship, which was extremely difficult. That looked like couch surfing on friends' places for the next six months as I had to continue paying rent on an apartment that I couldn't safely live in. That meant going into $6,000 of breakup debt. And that meant saying, you know what, I'm going to walk away from a state director position and go to DC, the land, the city I'd always wanted to live in, and just hit the reset button on my career uh, and, and start over. And uh, you know, I'm, I'm very grateful in retrospect to have blown up my life at the uh, ripe old age of 24, as opposed to 34 or 44 or 54 or 64. But I know it is so hard for us at any stage in our lives, especially as women, to dare to just reject what we are tolerant of for so long. And that's, that's what I did. That's when I really found my backbone and my voice. Wow, Emily, thank you so much for sharing that story. Um... I was just thinking through imagining scenarios in my head as you spoke through that. And, you know, I find a lot of women may relate to what you are explaining because we're good at putting up these facades where we are amazing at work, but then mm -hmm. when we get back home, it's a different story or we're amazing at home. And when we get to work, it's a different story. And you had to navigate through an abusive relationship while your career was rising and you had to keep it all up and keep it all together mm -hmm. without really acknowledging, well, I need to work on 
advocating for myself in this negative relationship. Mm -hmm. And that can be tough. So based on your experience going through that relationship, leaving an incredible job, resetting your life and your career, moving to DC, what advice, what tips do you have for women who are struggling to advocate for themselves, to use their voices for themselves, to exit difficult situations? Right. It's an important question. And I think it starts by acknowledging when you feel out of alignment, because I was chasing what I thought success looked like, a great relationship, a great job. Uh, and I didn't stop to question, was this form of success my form of success? And what I've come to realize is that there are lots of ways to be successful. And it's okay to say to yourself, the success I'm living right now is someone else's success. And this just doesn't feel right for me. In fact, you don't need any other logical reason to say, I don't want to do this anymore. That's it. Like your feeling that you don't want to do this anymore is valid. And I think the, the love world, love it. but the world teaches women, like we have, we're so emotional and irrational that we feel this need to constantly rationalize. Like if I don't have a good reason to break up with this person, I'm just going to stay. If I don't have a good reason to leave this job. I'm just going to stay. Uh, wanting something different is a good reason, right? And that, that's where it begins, right? Like giving yourself permission to acknowledge when you feel out of alignment and then make time and space to explore that gap. I think it's Tracy Ellis Ross who says, I'm trying to allow the space between where I am and where I want to be to inspire me and not terrify me. And that means being willing to actually look at that gap and acknowledge, you know, there's, there's so much that I have to be grateful for. And I think I want something a little different than what I have right now. What does that gap look like? How am I going to close it? And then the final thing I would say on this is you don't have to do this alone. It, you know, isolation was a big part of the problem that, that put me in that situation that left me feeling totally burnt out. And I, I, somehow picked up this message. I think it's part of our American uh, value of individualism that's very innate to our nation's history, which is this idea that if you don't go it alone, it's a sign of weakness or like the road less traveled is the more righteous one or something like that, right? This idea that you have to solve your own problems on your own, otherwise you're showing weakness. That's bullshit, quite frankly. <laughs> and I think we have to acknowledge that uh, strong women as the nation's first black women's club said in their motto, lift as we climb. That, you know, if we're trying to change our family tree, if we're trying to change our narrative, if we're trying to change our historical relationship with women in power or women of color in power, which is very fraught in our, in our country, especially, we need to say unapologetically, I can be striving for my ambition and be striving in a community of support. So I'm gonna surround myself with people who make me feel fierce, who reflect back to me the most courageous version of myself. And I'm gonna reach out to those people and try to be that mirror to them in return. I love that. And you know, there's what you talked about isolation. My mom always calls it suffering in silence. Yes. And women, we are the masters of suffering in silence because we want to take care of everybody and everything and mm -hmm. figure ourselves out later or we don't face ourselves. And that is a massive burden 
to carry. You you don't have to go at whatever you're facing yeah. by yourself. You don't have to go at it alone. And you know, it's just something that I see happening so mm-hmm. often. And I also love the fact that you talk about reasons to wanting to change. It doesn't have to be for anything elaborate. You don't have to explain yourself to anyone. It could be because you want peace of mind. Right. You want to be able to take deep breaths when you go to your office, when you come into your home where you yeah. relax, right? Um, so, and some people may not have gone through abuse or right. difficult relationships, but they still, as women, we still need to advocate for ourselves. So most mm-hmm. commonly areas that women need to advocate for themselves are around finances. So I'd love for you to share, especially you talked about dealing with breakup debt, couch surfing, (laughs) financial matters. Um, How can women advocate for themselves specifically when it comes to their finances, using their voice for their own gain, you know, and not just letting people take advantage and get one over them? Love this question because women and power and money are all very intertwined. And we know we live in a world that still doesn't pay women equally for equal work. We know we live in a world where women's retirement savings are on average much less than the average man's retirement savings. And we know that women live longer than the average dude. So those, there's some serious misalignment there when it comes to the realities of women's lives and the realities of women's money. Um, I lived it. You know, I, When you speak of your mother, you remind me of my mom who's a labor and delivery nurse who's worked on her feet 12 hour shifts at a time her entire life. And she's a professional caretaker. And I like to joke, uh, uh, also the primary caretaker in our household with four children, five if you count my dad. So she really, she really set a high bar for what it looks like to take care of everyone else before we take care of ourselves. And um, I love my mom, care for my mom, respect my mom. And I am gonna iterate on motherhood when I get the chance, you know, I, I plan on, um, you know, taking the sort of role that was handed down to me and, and making a few red lines there, because I think it's really important that we normalize moms and any kind of woman uh, who, who take care of themselves as well, uh, who, who make it normal and make it okay and show the little eyes who are looking up at us, boys, girls, and everyone in between, that m- women have needs too. <laughs> including moms. So we're going to take care of you. Yeah, but we're also going to take care of ourselves. And I think that's really what my, my relationship with money has been for the past decade. I grew up with zero financial education. I love my parents, but they still have just about zero when it comes to financial skills, personal financial skills. Um, so I know what it looks like to be in an insecure household when it comes to money and to feel constantly anxious about finances and completely out of control, frankly, uh, of your money. So for me, and this is the the first step I would tell any woman who's probably already taken the step if she's listening to this right now is to educate yourself. I graduated from college with a couple of tens of thousands of dollars of debt. And I remember going to my university bookstore and picking up a Susie Orman book thinking, I'm probably going to need this to figure out how to pay off those loans that I just spent four years getting. And no one had ever talked to me about personal finance ever. Uh, I never really sought it out before, but that was the beginning. That was the first step was just picking up a book and making a $20 investment. Um, Obviously Clever Girl Finance is the place to start, uh, which is why people are already here. But first, educate yourself. Second, 
and this is classic, but pay yourself first. It's not hard. It's not rocket science. Every single paycheck you get, every single side hustle you work, how much of that income is going to go towards future use needs? Whether it's retirement, whether it's a big savings goal that you have to buy your first house or whatever it is, paying down debt, like how are you strategically mindfully using that income? Because you worked hard for it. And the third thing I'll say is time. Your time is as precious, if not more precious than your money. So again, it's simple, but not easy. Spending one hour at a minimum every single week to sit down alone, or if you have a household member with your household members, and look at where your money is, where it's going, where you want it to be going. And just like your big life goals, career goals, you know, relationship goals, whatever goals, is there a gap between what's happening and what you want to happen? And if there is that gap, don't hide from it. Don't stick your head in the sand. Don't run from it. Do something about it. And if you don't know what to do about it, ask someone who might be able to help you figure out something to do with it. And that's it. It's not rocket science, but it's radical. And when I started living that way, I stopped spending my money on things that were no longer serving me. Uh, I started increasing my income. I doubled, nearly doubled my income when I moved from Rhode Island to DC. And then I made a foolish decision of doubling my rent along the way, which was unnecessary. Uh, right. And then, you know, the tr my relationship with money has transformed so radically in the past decade. I went from living paycheck to paycheck with a constantly overdrawn checking account to now having bossed up my business with multiple full-time employees and being a landlady on a rental property that we've purchased and flipped as a, my husband and I, husband's very handy, so that helps, um, have flipped here in Denver, Colorado, and we're living in our second house and thinking about our next house purchase. So my relationship with money is a, a story of radical transformation. So I'm, I'm here to tell anyone listening that it's possible for you too. I love that. And Emily, we still need to have that real estate conversation. <laughs> yeah, we do. You've dropped some really great gems. And like you said, it's not rocket science. Um, and, you know, as women, um, for me, especially as a woman of color, we live in a world that not a lot is working for you, right? Right. Um, there are a lot of institutions and corporations that have algorithms and data running on you by virtue of your gender, mm -hmm. by virtue of your demographic, by virtue of your education and your background. And their goal is to capitalize on what you don't understand and make money off of you as mm -hmm. the guinea pig. And that's why education is so important because you can, once you know it's harder and harder for anyone to take advantage of you. And unfortunately, we live in a country where so many people, too many people, especially women who anchor their families, have been taken advantage of in the form of just crazy debt structures. Yes. Um, and so it's so, so important for us to be able to understand how this works so that when we are leveraging debt, when we are trying to save and invest, we're going about it the right way, mm -hmm. and not being taken advantage of, especially when we work so, so hard for that money, right? Yes. I mean, I think for a lot of women, 
the math is intimidating. And I'm not trying to stereotype here because I know lots of women are brilliant mathematicians, but I really struggled with numbers. And I used to joke and say, I'm just not made for math. And as a CEO who now looks at financial projections on a regular basis, and as someone who now understands cash flow as king uh, and understands, you know, what is that quote that compounding interest is the one concept where it works for you if you understand it and it works against you if you don't understand it, right? It can be figured out. It can be learned. You don't need to be born understanding compounding interest. You don't need to be born a mathematician. I remember rereading the same sentence over and over and over again in those personal finance books that I first picked up and thinking, I have no idea what that means. I'm gonna have to stop and Google what the hell that word is. And same thing with, with cash flow and projections and financial accounting. I don't know how many hours uh, and how many dollars I've spent trying to understand this more, but it's worth every penny <laughs> because the education doesn't happen instantaneously, but get smarter, get wiser, get a little bit sharper every single day, every single month, every single year. And that stuff adds up. And then you get hit with those ads for your next favorite mascara or your next favorite uh, vacation. And you think to yourself, is happiness on the other side of this purchase? Or am I just being used right now? Am I just being taught that women have to look a certain way, be a certain way, and they're just capitalizing on my insecurities? Because that, honest to God, women are the number one consumer in this consumer capitalist economy. And don't get me wrong, I'm a businesswoman. I believe in capitalism. I'm, I'm here for it. But is, are we being used is a fair question. And is that dollar best spent on that mascara, on that, uh, you know, whatever it is for your kids, the sneakers that are going to make them feel cool, that are going to make them well-adjusted, that are going to give them friends, or is that dollar better spent on that college savings fund or paying down my debt or not purchasing the thing and finding happiness anyway? It's yeah. a hard thing to do. I mean, listen, if we sit down here and talk about... <laughs> There's a lot of unpacking that women can sit and do from a generational perspective. I mean, if you think about the standards that were set for us as women, let's just go back to depending on your age, grandmother's generation, right? You had to look a certain way. Your home had to be a certain way. You had to get married by a certain age, have kids at a certain age. You couldn't buy a home without a man, couldn't open a bank account without a man. And it's all these things that have generationally been taught and ingrained to us the way you look is more important than your bank account. Marrying well is more important than your financial well-being. It's all these things. And even though now we're in this generation where women are shifting tables, we are breadwinners, we're household earners, we're choosing not to get married, all these things, these are things that have been subliminally taught to us and transitioned generationally that it's hard to shake it. Mm -hmm. We have to start somewhere by unlearning and being conscious of decisions that we're making with our dollars and not allowing somebody's standard in a man's world to define what we do now, given what we know. So what you said just gave me so much life, Emily. <laughs> I mean, same to you. I write about this in my book because I reflect on my grandmother's lives um, which were fascinating. One of them was born in the jungles of Panama and happened to uh, be like, literally her family won the lottery, or at least that's what I've been told. And she was sent to typist school for a year abroad. 
uh, came back and was able to climb her own sort of uh, class hierarchy by being a typist on the American controlled army base that was the Panama Canal Zone, where she saw a very dashing Irish American soldier and withheld paperwork of his until he finally had to come talk to her at her desk. And that is how my grandparents got together. So she married her way to being an American citizen, to being, uh, to, to up-leveling her class situation. So that's really, that was her option, you know, marry your way to class uh, ascendance. My other grandmother was born in, outside of Chicago um, as a Jewish American young woman and went all the way to higher education during World War II where there were bomb raids and blackouts and men, she said, were literally disappearing, right? Because they were just not available. And so her reason for being at college was to find a husband. And so when a Jewish matchmaker said, I found you the perfect husband, he's back from the war, he's teaching cadets now over at Yale, she dropped out of college and moved halfway across the country, never having met this guy to marry him. It's like a, a matchmaker made a match. Didn't work out. She divorced a, two years later with a one-year-old who she then raised on her own as a straight up spinster in her parents' attic for the next eight years. So I, I say all of this to say, our grandmothers had very different options available to them. And thank God for feminism, for fighting the good fight over the past hundred years, we have more options now than ever before. However, consciously, as you say, consciously choosing for yourself is not easy just because it's now available. Those are, in fact, sometimes having more choice is overwhelming. So in the face of these expanded options, this is what I think about a lot and what I've written about in thesis papers in college and now 15 years later, you know, this is what I live and breathe and, and advocate for every day. But how do you, as a modern woman with newfound choices, make the best possible choices you can for yourself? It's not easy. It is not. And that is a great segue into my next question, which is that women do not advocate as much as they should for themselves. I have struggled with this personally. I've grown out of it. And it's advocating for yourself when you get the job, when you need the raise, when you want to acknowledge your accomplishments at mm -hmm. your job and not let other people take credit for it. It's being vocal about how amazing you are. So many, so many women struggle to advocate for themselves in their careers. Mm -hmm. Emily, I'd love for you to tell me or share some tips as to how more and more women can start to overcome this because I definitely faced it, right? Oh yeah. Um, not asking for what I was worth, all kinds of things and eventually growing. But I realized looking back that there were so many missed opportunities because I didn't advocate for myself. Totally. Okay, so first of all, let me just make it clear that this is not our fault. This is certainly hard for women and especially women of color, but it's not because we aren't good at advocating for people. In negotiation research, women are actually better negotiators than men when we're negotiating on behalf of someone else. The reason it's so hard to advocate for ourselves is because we still today live in a world that has an inverse relationship between leadership qualities in women, like assertiveness and likability for women, not for men. So if, if I'm a rich, if you are too vocal at work. Absolutely. Basically. Sure. Basically.
basically, if you assert yourself, you are more likely to be seen as less likable if you're a woman and not. You don't run into that double bind if you're a man. Um, now, mercifully, the data on this is starting to finally show signs of reversing. But in the meantime, it's important to clarify that being assertive and being aggressive are different. When we talk about being assertive, we're talking about saying, here's what my rights are. I am speaking up for my rights. Here's what I need. Here's what I ask for. And I'm leaving the door open to hear about your rights. Am I violating your rights? What, what are your rights? What do you need? What do you feel? What do you want? So that we can have that exchange of mutual respect. When I'm being aggressive, and let's be real, we've all been aggressive, whether or not we intend to be at some point or other in the past, we probably will again in the future, because your intent does not actually determine your outcome. Yep. But if I'm, if I'm being aggressive, I'm doing what's in my own best interest without regard for other people's rights, sometimes blindly and ignorantly, but sometimes very maliciously and purposefully, you're steamrolling over others. Now, we want our leaders, we want people who dare to lead, who step up, who, who choose to lead anything, whether it's a Girl Scout troop or a, a family or a company, to be very forthright and clear about direction and what we want and what we think is best. That's an important characteristic. But our entire education system is not designed to teach that. Our entire lives up until the age of 18, if you go to school, higher education, right, or, or beyond if you go through higher education, uh, is designed to say, you know, what does the teacher want from me? How do I go home, put my nose to the grindstone individually, you know, in a meritocracy, work on that and then deliver and wait for my performance to be evaluated by someone else? All that goes out the window in life after, after academia, right? All of that is reversed. So now, instead of waiting for permission, waiting for our gold star, waiting for someone to place that little tiara on our heads, we have to say, hey, I've been working really hard here for a year. Let's talk about my future of the company here. Let's start the raise conversation. Let's start the promotion conversation. I need to express my intent. I need to express what I want if I'm expected to get it. And I have to do that even in a world that's less likely to receive it well if I'm a woman or person of color. So that is hard because the cards, like you said, are stacked against us. But I always say, you gotta play the hand you've been dealt while you change the game. So whether it's negotiating, advocating for what you want out of your personal relationships, right? Saying, here's why I'm not gonna make it home for Thanksgiving this year, right? You know, here's, here's what I- pandemic, mom. <laughs> uh, yeah. And having those tough conversations about boundaries, right? That's really what we're doing when we're being assertive. And that's what we are doing as leaders. We're saying, here's what will and will not stand. What do you feel? You know, how are you doing? How can I respect you? How can I respect your boundaries? But it is something that if we wait for permission, it will never come. If we wait for reward, they will never arrive. We need to be assertive and we need to be bosses of our own career paths and take a very active role in either seeking out what we want, where we are, or seeking it out somewhere else, whether it's launching your job search, being an advocate for yourself internally or civically, right? Let's not forget our democracy here. That requires the advocacy of citizens um, and even as small as in your own personal bubble. So it's a, it's a process, but it's hard because the world makes it harder on women and people of color. So 
proceeding to get up, brush your shoulders off and try again anyway, and keep at it, even when you're feeling unliked, that is part of what being a boss really means to me and what getting bossed up really is all about. I love that. And I always remind women that when you are advocating for yourself, when you're being assertive, don't forget to remind people of the value that you bring. Um, as women, we need to learn how to toot our own horns sometimes. Yeah. Get comfortable with it. Get comfortable with sharing how amazing you are to, with sharing your 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 accolades, with sharing mm. how well you do things, because we don't do that enough for ourselves. And it's very very important when we're being assertive, when we're advocating for ourselves. We have to remind the people that we're having to advocate for ourselves towards that. Listen, yeah. I'm amazing, right? And it's it's sort of I think there's a difference between bravado that kind of, I'm going to hype myself up and just feel like I can do no wrong. And I'm perfect in every way and love me, you know, and don't you know, right. There's a difference between that kind of bravado and deeper, calm confidence, which is listen, I may not be perfect, but I come here every day and I add value in the following ways. Uh, and that value has value. So I feel like it's a fine line with your own personal sense of confidence and then expressing that confidence, right? It's really hard to advocate for yourself if you don't already have a solid foundation of personal sense of self-worth. And self-worth is sometimes a hard fought battle and that's where therapy can be great, right? Like none of us need to do this alone. Like really, like it's not just about looking confident, sounding confident. It's about feeling truly confident and like, here's the value that I bring to this world because everyone brings a unique one of a kind perspective and value to the world and workplace. And if you're in a relationship or you're in a workplace that doesn't make you feel that way, that's going to seep into your psyche and destroy your self-worth. Um, but I'm living testament of the fact that you can get it back. Uh, I really, I mean, my husband today is cannot believe the stories I tell him of my early twenties of like the decisions I made out of guilt, out of obligation, out of feeling like I had to put everyone else first or just out of that one, that, yeah. yeah, that one is a big one. Yeah. And feeling like I was, I had to sacrifice myself for my boyfriend or for my, uh, my workplace and you know what? Like, it's hard to pinpoint exactly even to this day. And I've done a lot of thinking about it when or where or how it happened, but those small microaggressions that degrade your sense of humanity, that degrade your sense of being a worthy person, that shit seeps in and it chips away. And there was barely anything left of me when I left that relationship. Um, and it took a lot to like find whatever was left inside to, to stand up for my livelihood, to stand up for my, you know, I deserve more than this, frankly. I deserve more than this and say that and believe it. That took a lot of work. Um, shout out to therapy for help on that front. But like, it just took a lot of work, especially being in a situation with a person who was so brilliant, but in some ways that worked against him and it worked against me because he was really good at manipulating me and gaslighting me and making me feel less than. And uh, you can either decide to let that be the story of your life or reject it and do something different and find something else besides that. 
way of living. Cause I guarantee you, you deserve better. If that sounds like where you're at right now. And I deserved better. Young me deserved better. And when she started to truly believe that she started to act in a way that reinforced that. And it became the cycle. I, I write about it in my book. I call it the um, iterative process of cultivating your boss identity. It's kind of a combination of taking small actions in the direction of your deepest desires and then being reinforced by people who say, yeah, that's cool. Let's like, let me validate that fierceness. Let me upvote that courage of yours. And it's really hard to summon all that courage on your own. You need that symbiotic relationship between other people validating your sense of identity and you validating it for yourself. Emily, you have definitely given somebody who's tuned into this courage to make change, to exit a bad relationship, to work on their finances, to advocate for themselves in their career. You have shared so much great information. And I appreciate you for being so open and so honest. You know, sometimes when someone has been through a difficult journey, um, it, it takes time for you to get to a point where you're able to share it. Totally. Um, without getting overwhelmed by that past situation. So thank you so much for sharing that. Um, and for anyone, you know, listening to us, as Emily said, don't feel like you have to isolate yourself to get through your situation, to figure out how to advocate for yourself, mm. lean on your support system, lean on your community, call your primary physician, <laughs> like Emily did, yeah. therapy, find the support that you need to navigate this and start to build the confidence to advocate for yourself and to use your voice as a woman, woman of color, underrepresented demographic, so, so, so important. So Emily, I have to ask you before I let you go, I ask everybody this, what is your clever girl superpower? That's right. My clever girl superpower is saying no. <laughs> I... I like now I'm very into saying no. I used to really struggle to say no because of obligation and things like that. And nowadays it's like, I say no 10 times a day because I know what my bigger yes is. I know what my burning yes is. And I have to say no if I want to stay focused. And so it's a superpower that anyone can develop. My TEDx talk is called the power of no. Uh, and whether it's just saying no to my own unrealistic expectations around the holidays and resetting my expectations of what is possible in a pandemic uh, or saying no to opportunities that are exciting and awesome, but just are not right for me right now. You know, there's power in that. And the, 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 the flip side of that is focus. And I write in my book, I believe that focus is a better indicator of success than hard work and intelligence alone. In our hyper-distracted workplace, in our hyper-connected world, focus is at a higher premium than intelligence and hard work. So if you want more time, you want more focus, you want more creativity, you want more, uh, you want more deep thinking and deep work in your life, start saying no. It's on the other side of that. I agree wholeheartedly. Um, I am now the queen of no. <laughs> and also hard work does not mean good work. Mm -hmm. Does not mean intentional work, does not mean productive work, does not mean useful work. Okay, so so I love that also. <laughs> Focus, yeah. so, so key. Uh, and finally, before I let you go, we'll link your TEDx in the show notes, but you have to tell folks where to find you, where to get to Boss Up, and what you offer. 
Awesome. Thanks again, Bola. So if you're listening to this on the podcast, search Bossed Up in your podcast player right now. I produce two episodes a week full of boss tips, expert interviews like ones with you, Bola. Uh, and my expert guests and I are always breaking down real world career conundrums for my listeners. We also have at bossedup.org a free job search guide for job seekers that is comprehensive, a free negotiation guide that is extremely robust if you're looking to ask for a raise or ask for a promotion, and lots of incredible virtual programs for women leaders on the rise and job seekers who are ready for a change. So head to bossedup.org for all those resources and more. Uh, and thanks again, Bola, for making this possible. Yes. And of course there is your book bossed up. <laughs> yes. Let's not forget about that. It's available wherever books are sold. And I'm very proud of that book. It, it really walks through my personal story in a deeper way, but also 15 other women in the bossed up community who have leveled up in their lives in a big way and shown us what it looks like to cultivate a community of courage, to assertively communicate without apology to create their sense of being the boss of their own life by cultivating that boss identity. I really walk through a research-driven methodology for how to get your shit together. So if you're feeling like a bit of a hot mess, I am a recovering hot mess who wrote the book on getting it together. And I highly recommend finding Bossed Up on Amazon, wherever books are sold, makes a great gift too. Thank you so much, Emily. This has been awesome. I appreciate you for being here. Thank you. Likewise. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode, and I hope you enjoyed it. If you've loved the episode, but you don't yet subscribe to the podcast, you can do that everywhere you listen to your podcast episodes and head on over to iTunes and leave a review so other amazing women just like you can find this podcast as well. Thank you so much for being here, and I'll talk to you on the next episode.